Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Evening and welcome to the Rashi Shear, and we resume with Peruk Yudtet, and we're going to do Pasuk Dalad, and the story so far is that the Malachim have come to Sodom, planning to destroy it, and Lot uh, offers them hospitality. Abraham, uh, Rashi says that he learned from Abraham to do this, and he made matzat for them to eat. We talked about that last week, and we come to Perak, sorry, Pasuk Dalad. So Pasuk Dalad says, Terem yishkavu va'anshei ha'ir, anshei Sodom, nasobu al habayit, so there's a few things that Rashi will talk about here, but let's try and translate it. Terem, before they lay down, and the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house from young to old, all the people from the end. So there's a lot over here that doesn't quite make sense before we get to Rashi. So Rashi says on the words, Terem yishkavu va'anshei ha'ir anshei Sodom. This is how it's expounded in Bereshit Rabbah. So Rashi is going to bring two pshatim. Interestingly, he starts with the Midrash and he follows it with pshat. Um, also interesting, and I don't have a particular significance of this, he doesn't just say Midrash, he tells you to go to Bereshit Rabbah. Anyway, and what we find there is, Terem Yishkavu, Anshe ha'ir, before they lay down, and the men of the city, so those four, those four words are straight from the Pasuk, but now comes the Midrash, hayu b'fihem shel malachim. So the men of the city, that's the subject, were in the mouths of the malachim. What does it mean they were in the mouths of the malachim? Shahayu sho'alim lot. They were asking lot, ma'tivam, what is their nature, umma'asehem, and their deeds? In other words, Sorry, let me go back to stage. But Anshe Ha'ir, that's the subject. Well, what was the Anshe Ha'ir doing? They were in the mouths of the Malachim. Now, there's no clue in the Pasuk about the mouths of the Malachim. But Rashi quotes the Midrash, and we'll talk about why in a moment, um, to say that the men of the city, they were being talked about. The angels were asking Lot about the men of the city, their nature, their deeds. For who and Lot replied to them, to the Malachim, Rubem Roshayim. The most of them are wicked. And then continues the Midrash explaining the Pasuk, Odem Madabrim Bahem, while they were still talking about them, the Anshe Sadam Vagoma, and the men of the of city of Sadam, etc. So you look at the Pasuk, and the way the Midrash, which Rashi brings as his first option, says, Terem Yishkavu, before they went down to sleep. The Anshe Ha'ir and the men of the city, semicolon. And obviously, you have to add what's missed out before that semicolon. You have to add the Anshe Ha'ir were being talked about by the Malachim. After the semicolon, we have a new clause. Anshe Sodom, the men of the city of Sodom, Nasavar Abayat, were surrounding the house. Then Rashi says, Upshutor Shal Mikra, the simple meaning of the text, the Anshe Ha'ir, Anshe Resha. The men of the city, who were men of wickedness, Nasabu al-Habayat, surrounded the house. What does it mean they were men of wickedness? Or rather, what do we learn from the fact they were wickedness? Why is that relevant? Al-Shahayu Rashayim, because they were wicked, Nikraim anshe Sodom. They were called men of Sodom. Kamosha ma'achatuv, as the Pasuk said much earlier, the anshe Sodom ra'im v'chata'im. The men of Saddam were wicked and sinful. That was said right back here when Abraham split from Lot in Peruk Yud Gimel. I forget the exact Pasuk. Okay, what is the problem here that Rashi is solving? So both of these attempts solve the problem of the duplication. Anshe Ha'ir, Anshe Saddam. The men of the city, the men of Saddam. It's the same people. So why does the Torah say, the men of the city, the men of Sodom? So answer number one, it's two stories. It's two separate stories. Terem Ha'ir, something about the men of the city were being discussed by the Malachim. A second story, Anshe Sodom, 
Nasabu al-Habayat, the men of Saddam surrounded the house. The second explanation, which Rashi calls the Pshat, is that Anshe Ha'ir were the ones surrounding the house. In other words, the Anshe Ha'ir is the subject of Nasabu, which it isn't according to the first explanation. First explanation, it's the subject of a verb which isn't there in the text about being talked about. In which case, we're back to the original question. Why is Anshe Ha'ir followed by Anshe Saddam? They are the same people. Answers Rashi, Anshe Saddam is a way of referring to their wickedness. Anshe Saddam is not relevant, but they're living in Saddam. It's not giving us a geographical marker, but rather it's giving us their characteristic. The characteristic is that they were wicked, and the epitome of wicked is being Anshe Saddam. So Anshe Ha'ir brackets who were the wicked people which were uh, epitomized by Anshe Saddam, what were they doing? Nasabo al-Habayat. So two completely different ways of parsing the Pasuk, uh, or another way of putting it is two completely different ways of understanding what Anshe Ha'ir were doing, and two completely different ways of understanding what Anshe Saddam means. According to the first explanation, it means what it says, the men of Saddam. According to the second explanation, it's a descriptor of Anshe Ha'ir. It tells you how wicked they were. Now, what to me is particularly interesting is why Rashi calls the first one Midrash and the second one Pshat. And I haven't got, because I couldn't find, um, a, a clever explanation of what one um, uh, explanation lacks and the other one makes up. But let's look at the problem. So the first problem is, uh, the main problem is, Anshe Ha'ir is repeated by Anshe Saddam. Uh, if you take Rashi's second explanation, which he calls the Pshat, um, the problem, I suppose, is why it says Anshe Saddam and not Anshe Resha, which is what Rashi thinks it means. Everywhere else in, in Chumash, Anshe Saddam means Anshe Saddam, means the people who lived in Saddam. But here it's meaning something else, according to Rashi. Um, according to the first explanation, I think it's even harder because the Vav is in the wrong place. Uh, the Pasuk says, Terem Yishkavu V Anshe Ha'ir. Uh, before they lay down, and the people of the city. Now, if you look in Rashi's uh, first explanation, uh, he says, um, I suppose you can have the Vav after Terem, um, before they lay down, and what had already happened. It's the sort of Vav in Hebrew, which I think works. It doesn't work in English. In English, you just say, before they lay down, the men of the city were in the mouths of the Malachim. So it's a little bit problematic that you've got a Vav there, but I think the classical Hebrew can get away with it. However, according to the first explanation, you really would need a Vav before, before Ha'ir, sorry, Anshe Saddam. According to the first explanation, it should read as Terem Yishkavu, before they lay down, but Anshe Ha'ir and the men of the city were in the mouths of the Malachim, comma, the Anshe Saddam Nasabu al-Habayat. And something else happened. The Anshe Saddam surrounded the house, but there's no Vav there after, or before, sorry, Anshe Saddam. The way the Pasuk reads the Anshe Ha'ir, Anshe Saddam, does sound like Anshe Saddam is describing Anshe Ha'ir as Rashi brings in the second explanation. And it seems to me, because the second explanation adds in less extra backstory about the Malachim talking to Lot, and also, um, because uh, the second explanation doesn't need a valve before the Anshe Saddam. That's why Rashi calls that shut. But the first explanation, which comes from the Midrash, adds much more material, much more backstory in Midrashic style, um, and also doesn't quite fit the words so well, even the words that are there, because of the lack of a valve before the Anshe Saddam. So that's why I would suggest Rashi needs both explanations. I mean, I haven't quite done the classic um, Malamad Lahil, uh, sorry, Maskala David style um, analysis, but you can see that both explanations are a little bit lacking. Um, neither are satisfactory, neither, neither answer every question. Maybe that's why you need both. And the Pshat is, the one he calls Pshat is a little bit closer to the text, and the one he calls Midrash is a little bit further from the text. Okay. Then we move on to uh, the next comment of Rashi on the words kol ha'am mikatzer, uh, all the people from the end, from the edge, kates is the end. 
says Rashi, kol ha'am mikatze, mikatze, mikatze ha'ir ad ha'katze, from the edge of the city to the edge. She'ein echad mehem mocha biyadam, that not one of them protested by their hands. She'afilu tzadik echad ein bahem, even one tzadik there is not amongst them. So basically Rashi starts by explaining the words and then goes on to say why it makes sense. So we have in the text, Mikatse. And Rashi says, Mikatse ha'ir ad ha'katse. So Mikatse on its own is a little bit hard to explain, from the edge. Um, you could leave it as meaning from the edge, but then it would mean that the people who came to Lot's house all came from the edge of the city. They all came from far away. And that doesn't make sense. Why would they come from far away, but the local ones wouldn't come? That doesn't make sense. So Rashi says, Mikatse is short for Mikatse Adakatse, from end to end. Once he's done that, then Rashi's got a new problem, because that implies every single inhabitant of Saddam came to surround the house. And that is hard to imagine that everyone will be involved. It's also hard to imagine logistically how everyone, presumably tens of thousands, uh, it seemed to be, Rashi calls it a metropolis, a big city. So let's assume it was tens of thousands, maybe even just a couple of thousand in a city of, uh, of that time, but I'm sure it was more, how you'd have everyone surrounding the house. So logistically and, um, and just, just contextually, it, it doesn't make sense that it would be everyone. So then Rashi has to explain how it could be considered everyone when it wasn't. He said, Nobody protested. And we know from many other places in Tibre uh, Chazal uh, that if you don't protest, it's as if you've done it yourself. If you have the power to protest and discourage some people from doing the wrong thing and you don't exercise that power, then in some ways it's as if you yourself did that wrong thing. So that's how everyone can be included uh, in a sense if everyone refrains from protesting. And then, interestingly enough, Says Rashi, there was not one tzaddik amongst them. Which um, just is interesting to shed light, perhaps, on what the Midrash said that Lot claimed among, about the townspeople. According to the Midrash, when Lot was uh, answering the Malachim's question about what type of people they are, he said, Rubam Rashayim. Most of them are Rashayim. And yet Rashi says that we see from the fact that everyone was involved, at least to the extent that they didn't protest, that even one tzaddik was not amongst them. Which is interesting because I think it brings to um, two ways of reconciling Lot's description that most, i.e. not all, were Rashaim, and the Torah's, uh, or the Rashi's comment from the Midrash, that there was not even one tzaddik. So you could say it fits together fine that most, let's say 80%, says Lot were Rashaim, and 20% were Bainanim. At this time of year, as we come up to the Book of Life being opened on Rosh Hashanah, we know that there are people who are Tzadikim and people Rashaim who are people who are Bainanim. So maybe Lot says most are Rashaim, the rest are Bainanim, and that fits with Rashi's comment that not one is a Tzadik. Or you can say Lot was not telling the truth. Lot was um, hyping, what was uh, spooking, I think is the Aussie word, for the people of Saddam, and saying they were really good, when in fact they were not. When he says, Rubam Rashaim, which implies, contrary to what I said a moment ago about Bainanim, the simple idea is if they're not Rashaim, they're Sadiqim, and yet it turns out he was wrong, he was implying that there were some Sadiqim, but that's not the case. And I think, um, I think we can say that there is some significance in the fact that in the very same verse, Rashi makes a comment which sheds light on the previous comment of Rashi and uh, probably uh, either uh, gives a bit more explanation or actually contradicts what Rashi says that Lot said in his previous comment. And that concludes Pasuk Dalet, and then we go on to Pasuk Hay. And it says, Vayikra'u el Lot, they called to Lot. So these are the people who are surrounding the house. And they said, low to him, Where are the men who came to you, Halayla, tonight? Bring them out, and we will know them. 
So it sounds like they want to have a nice chat with them, to get to know them. Hello, how do you do? Where are you from? But the Rashi says that's not the case at all. On the words, otam, says Rashi, v'mishkav zachar, in homosexual rape, basically. Kamo asher lo yadu ish. So um, Rashi quotes a Pasuk, which, as it happens, is coming up very, very soon in Pasuk Chet, uh, where he refers to his daughters as lo yadu ish, which means the daughters have not had sexual relations. So we see that neida, to know, is a euphemism, or maybe it's not even a euphemism, maybe it's the way that the Hebrew translates the term, as we saw the Adam yada et chava ishto, that to the Hebrew word yada can refer to sexual relations. Um, and in three pesukim time, that's exactly how it's used. So it's a good proof text that this is an acceptable interpretation. But it also tells us more. Why does Rashi think that it means something to do with sexual relations rather than um, uh, getting to know them, as the simple Peshat says? So one answer is, um, sorry, what I was going to say is the very fact that um, the response by Lot to the townspeople is, don't touch my guests, but here are my daughters. You can do what you like with them. And it's very, very clear he's referring to sexual abuse of his daughters. Terrible, terrible concept. Um, so he's offering his daughters instead of what the townspeople plan to do to the guests, hence Rashi's understanding of what it is the townspeople wanted to do to the guests. By Lot's response, we can understand what the people were asking for. Uh, it's also the case, you could say even simpler, uh, as I was uh, alluding to earlier, that given what the townspeople were doing, and given everything we know about the people of Saddam, which is bad, 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 um, the Neidalahem, the Neidalotam, the idea that they just wanted to get to know them, is not really credible. So Neidalotam means they wanted to abuse them in some way. Now, incidentally, it's worth mentioning, uh, I mentioned this last week, and I'll mention it again. There are a number of Midrashic uh, narratives about what was going on in Saddam and how they made their lack of hospitality not just a bad habit, but actually part of societal rules. They made it the law that people could not host guests in Saddam. Um, and they came up with all sorts of clever legal fictions to make it look like they were doing the right thing, but they were actually doing the wrong thing and not hosting guests. Um, I'll just mention this as some sort of mention. One, one of these ideas I think is so profound is when a guest came into town and needed tzedakah, they would all give him money. They would give him tzedakah. And on their coins, they would write the names of the donors. And they would give him tzedakah. But nobody was allowed to sell the guest food. So the guests would starve to death. And whereupon, the townspeople would all come and reclaim their coins, which they had put their names on. Uh, and there are many other stories which all point to the same idea that they acted in a way as if to say, look, we're doing the right thing. This is what the law says. We're giving tzedakah, but then they get it back. They clothed their evil in what the societal norms that they created for themselves. So one of the Midrash says that every guest who did come in was subject to this type of abuse. Their money was taken from them and they were violated in this way. And that's why it became, that's why it would explain that the townspeople were saying to Lot, no, you know the rules, give over your guests so we can treat them in this particular way. And that is relevant. And the reason I'm sort of stressing this is for what comes very soon um, that, uh, well, I'll just bear that thought in mind and you'll see the relevance soon. Pasuk um, Vav, yeah, no more Rashi on hey. Lot Lot went out to them, ha-petcha, through the petach, through the opening, v'hadelet sagar acharav, and the door he closed behind him. Uh, interesting enough, the word delet is going to be explained by Rashi, but not till we get to Pasuk uh, Tet, I believe. Yes, Pasuk Tet. And we'll explain why when we get there, why the word delet is explained in Pasuk Tet, but it's not explained here in Pasuk Vav. Uh, there's, no other, there's no Rashi to say on Vav, and in Zion, Vayomer, and he said, Alna achai toreu, my, my brothers, do not do bad. This is Lot's plea. And then Lot says in Pasuk Chet, 
Behold, I have two daughters, Asher lo yadu ish, who have not, whom uh, have not no man, or man is not known, i.e. they are virgins. Otsiana et hen, I will bring them out, alechem to you, but asu lahen ketov and do to them what's good in your eyes. Uh, as I said last week, Rashi said that Lot learned from Abraham to chase after guests, and it seems to me that the whole, the, the picture we get of Lot over and over again is he tries to be a little bit like Abraham, but just doesn't get there. And in this respect, he gets it completely wrong. In an effort to protect his guests, he offers up his daughters. Uh, because he goes on to say, Rakla anashim ha'el, just to, uh, I'll tell you what Rashi's going to say, these men, alta asudavar, do not do anything. Ki al-kein ba'u betzel koroti. So ki al-kein, as Rashi said in Perik Yudchet, I think, is uh, basically just means because. Ba'u betzel koroti. They have come under the shade of my roof. So let's see what Rashi says um, on, first of all, he helps us with the word ha'el, and he says, Kamo ha'ela. It's equivalent to ha'ela, meaning these. The, we have the phrase, uh, anashim ha'el, and it doesn't really make sense, although, interesting enough, the Midrash gives an alternative, which I'll come to in just a moment. But Rashi says, ha'el is just an archaic form of ha'ela, and it should be read as anashim ha'ela, these men. Um, I saw in the Midrash uh, that there is an alternative. That Ha'el could be from Kel, as in God, as in Elohim, which judges, as in also another uh, name of God. And it all comes from the root El, meaning mighty, strong. Called the Elim Gava, where whoever is stronger will win, as the Gemara says in various cases. So El can mean strong. So you can read this, and a Midrash does, as Anashim Ha'el, these, not these, but rather the strong, the mighty, the harsh. The, uh, the harsh men, because after all, they're, they're about to introduce themselves as mashkitan, as uh, destroyers. So you could say that ha'el means strong. Rashi comes to refute that and says ha'el means ha'ela. Okay, then Rashi says on the words ki al kein ba'u. Says Rashi, ki hatova hazota asu lichvodi. Because this goodness, this favor, you shall do for my honor. Because they have come under the shade of my roof. In other words, I have to protect them. What is Rashi saying with this? The problem is like this. If you look at the Pasuk, he says to the people, don't do anything to them. Because they've come under the shade of my roof. So there's two ways of understanding the because, the cause and effect here. You could read it as because they've come under my roof, so now they're protected, so now you can't hurt them. The problem with that is that implies if they're not under my roof, then you can hurt them. That the Lot is just pointing out a technicality. You know, it's like uh, they're running around playing a child's game and they're on a safe space. So once you're on a safe space, you're not allowed to touch them. But if they were not on the safe space, if they're not under the shade of my roof, then you can touch them. And Rashi doesn't like that idea. So that's why Rashi adds, Ki hatova It's not that you should protect the guests because they're under my roof. It's you should do me this favor because now they're under my roof. But of course, if they're not under my roof, you should still protect them. You should still not do bad for them. But if they're not under my roof, it wouldn't be lichvodi. It wouldn't be a favor for my honor. So Rashi makes the the reason that they've, uh, you should protect them is you should do me a favor because they've come under my roof. But it's not that you should protect them because they come under my roof. So Rashi's explaining the whole ki uh, means I have a personal involvement in this, not that they are protected. Um, I just want to mention that I saw in a, a parish today, something just rather cute. Um, I, I, I should celebrate the fact I received a whole new set of books this week with extra Purusha on Rashi, which I was very, very excited about. And I saw in one of them, this isn't actually a comment on Rashi, but it comes in the book, so I'll share it to you, um, that there's a Midrash that says Lot and Mrs. Lot divided the house between them. And that would explain why Lot says, um, ki sel korati. 
They've come under my roof. They're in my part of the house. Therefore, I have to protect them. If they were in her part of the house, that would be up to her. And from what we know about Mrs. Locke, maybe she wouldn't have protected them. But they're in my part of the house. Anyway, nice idea. Then uh, Rashi says something, and I have to say I have a little problem with the comments on Rashi, because I really cannot find a reason why he says this, except the obvious one. He says, Targum bat bitlal sherutei. The translation, the Aramaic Targum of Betzel Karoti is bitlal sherutei. And bitlal means Betzel. Uh, talal is uh, shade. That's why Talalta is a sukkah in Aramaic. Um, but then on the word sherutei, Rashi says, Targum shall kora sheruta. The translation of kora. Now, kora, by the way, I've translated as roof, and that's a reasonable translation. It's the root of the same root of tikra. Um, but literally, it means a beam. And perhaps you can translate it better as a roof beam. So they've come under the shade of my roof beam, which means the same, same right as my roof. And Rashi tells you that when the Targum translates kora as shirutei, shiruta is the translation of kora. And I have not got a better explanation than Rashi is doing what Rashi sometimes does, which is help you with the Targum. Rashi assumes, and this is clear, that you're reading the Targum before you read Rashi. So you're reading the Chumash, you're reading the Targum. And from time to time, um, this week's Sedra of Hazina is a good example. He says, I'll tell you what I say, and I'll also tell you what the Targum says. And occasionally, the, not very often, occasionally he will say, there's a, a word you might not be familiar with in the Targum, and I'll tell you what it means. It may well be that there is a better explanation why he quotes the meaning of the word of the Targum here, but I haven't seen one. Benji, you have a question or a comment? Yeah, please. Um, yeah, thank you. Just going back to what you said about um, under his roof for like his honor, and as Rashi was stressing, is that um, that Lot was saying, is, is that linked, do you reckon, to the fact that they, they, the city appointed him like a judge over judges? I think that when he was sitting in the, in the city and they, because he was like a leader, he was kind of begging them, maybe is that a link there potentially that, you know, respect me if you see me as a leader in that sort of sense? Is that, why, why is he asking for respect as compared to anybody else if otherwise, maybe? I think um, uh, it's possible. It's possible. And the, uh, the judge bit that they appointed him to is going to become relevant or possibly relevant uh, in the very next verse. Um, but I think you might be reading a bit too much in the, in the idea of honor. Um, I don't think he's saying do honor to me, uh, at least my way, my way of reading it. It's not saying do honor to me because I'm Dufka, a very honorable person, but it's just like, uh, it's almost a colloquialism for do it for me. Okay. Okay, like, like one would say your honor, sir. And some people would like be all pompous and say it to everyone. In, in, in earlier times, it was more a natural sort of salutation. So that's how I read it anyway. Thank you. Okay. Now we move on to Pasuk Tet, and uh, we have quite a long comment of Rashi on this one. Vayomru, they said, that's the townspeople said back to Lot, Gesh Hala. Now, Rashi's got a lot to say just on those words, because Gesh means draw near, and Hala means away. So there's a sort of contradiction um, in Gesh Hala, draw near, away. So Rashi's going to talk about that. Vayomru, and then they said, uh, notice Vayomru Vayomru, they said twice. Ha'echad, somebody, this sorry, one, one person, Ba Lagur, comes to dwell, Vayishpat Shafut, and judges judging. Uh, in other words, they're, they're, they're mocking. Who is this guy who's telling us what to do? Uh, and of course, Benji, you mentioned that we saw earlier in the second passage that according to Rashi, Lot had been appointed a judge that very day. So there has to be huge irony in the fact they're now objecting to him, judging them. But we'll see what Rashi says about that as well. Ata, now, neralacha, mehem, we will do to you worse than to them. The Yivtzeru be'ish belot ma'ot, and they pleaded with the man with Lot a lot, ba'yikshu yishbor hadelet, and they drew near to break down the door. Okay. Rashi says, Vayomru gash hala, which as I said means draw near away. Karav lahala, make yourself near too far away. So the first thing Rashi does is explain how we can understand gesh hala. Uh, he replaces gesh by karav, which I think is basically the same thing, but it doesn't mean draw near to us, which 
Rishikesh on its own would be, but draw near to a place which is further away. In other words, get away from here. You're currently here, there is there, will you please draw near to there, which means move away from here. Says Rashi, Kulama, that is to say, hit karev l'tzadadim, draw near to the side, v'hit racheik mimenu, and move away, distance yourself from us. So Rashi is explaining this geish hela, which sounds uh, a contradiction in terms, um, and how it can mean, what are you drawing near to? If you're not drawing near to us, you're drawing near to somewhere over there. You're drawing near to the side, and you're getting further away from us. And then he says, And if you're not familiar with hala, that everywhere you find it in the Tanakh, it's an expression of distance. Come on, zare hala. Sprinkle, it's referring to the, literally the fire, in other words, the coals that were in the fire pans of the followers of Korah after they died. Uh, what happened to the coals that were in them was they were spread hala, which means like far away. Just get them out the pans. Uh, sorry. So um, my, uh, this is from the Haftorah of Macha uh, Chodesh. Jonathan says um, he'll give a single sim, sorry, signal to David and the signal will be about the arrows that Jonathan uh, will fire. And if I say, behold, my arrows are from you and further away. If Jonathan says to his servant in David's hearing that the arrows that Jonathan has fired are far away. So hala there, in both those cases, the only way of reading it is hala means far away. It can't be in here. It can't be near. It must be far. Uh, another example, gash hala, him sheikh lahalan. So in Yeshayahu, uh, sorry, I forget the context there, um, but it's pretty much the same words here, and it means draw near to over there. And then Balash and Lars, um, in the language of this people, i.e. French, Turidinu, um, which Artscroll says means move away from us. Udvar Nazifahu, and it's an expression of rebuke. It's a negative thing, it's a nasty thing to say. Loma, to say, Ein anu choshashim lacha. We don't care about you. We're not paying attention to you. We're dismissive of you. So this is all to explain um, Gesh Hala, what it means, how we understand those two words. Gesh means Karav, Hala means Richuk, how they can fit together. It means draw near to away from us. And it's an expression of rebuke. It's an expression of dismissiveness, which all fits with what the... Um, townspeople were saying to Lot. They weren't just saying, oh, by the way, we have a technical problem because you're standing in our way, but they were being dismissive of him. And then Rashi says, Now what's Rashi doing here and in the next case? He's now not talking about Gesh Hala. He's not explaining or he's not finding proof text for Hala. He's finding proof text for Gesh means something dismissive, which is what he just said. So the first example of that is from Ishahu Samachai, Karav Elecha Altigash B. Draw near to you, don't come back, draw near to me. And if you look there in the context, it's clearly saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And another one, Bechain Gashu Ashiva, draw near to me and I will return. So I didn't look that one up. So I'm guessing it also means something about. Um, don't come to me. I don't really want to have anything to do with you. Um, I'm sorry, I did look it up. I did look it up. It means um, I do want to sit. I want to sit with you, but in order for me to sit with you, you're going to have to make space. In order to make space, you're going to have to move to the side for, for, for me, and then I will sit next to you. Okay, then Rashi goes on. Um, to say something else. He's finished explaining the word geish hala, that everything we've seen up to now is explaining that word and explaining the, the, uh, the uh, illusion that it comes with it. And now Rashi says something else. Ata meilitz ala orchim, eich malaacha libecha. You are defending or you're speaking on behalf of the guests. Literally, how could your, you, 
you feel at your heart, um, or how could you dare to do this? What a chutzpah. Then Rashi says, Al lahem albanot, omrulo gesh hala. Regarding what he said to them, what Lot said to the townspeople about his daughters, they said to him, draw gesh uh, hala, which means draw near to far away, which means move out the way. Loshon nachat, which is a sort of relaxed, restful expression. And regarding what he said, that he defended the guests, they said to him, and then Rashi goes on um, to say, to translate, to explain the next phrase that the townspeople use, and it's very, very negative. So what Rashi is doing is saying there's two parts to the townspeople's reaction. First, they respond what he said about the daughters, which is Gesh Halak, just get out the way, we're not really interested. And then what he said about don't touch the guests, to which they said, uh, etc., which we'll come to in just a moment. How, why does Rashi split them up? The reason Rashi splits them up is because the Pasuk splits them up. Because they said, they said. So there's two speeches. So Rashi says there's two types of speech going on, responding to the two things that Lot said. And because it's not just two answers, but two speeches, then Rashi says one of them is nice and the other is not nice. Now we have a problem, uh, a big problem, in that Rashi says gesh is an expression of uh, nazifa. It's a, a rebuke, it's unpleasant, it's dismissive. Um, and then he says it's loshanachat. It's nice, it's restful. So one possible answer is we have here a corruption in the text of Rashi. One of those things he said and the other he didn't and it was a scriptural error that occurred later. But you don't have to say that. Um, what you can say, as the Maharal says, is there's degrees of Nazifa, there's degrees of rebuke. There's a light rebuke and there's a heavy rebuke. So they're both rebukes, but one's Loshanacha, which is a relatively light rebuke and the other one is a harsher rebuke. Okay, so the last thing we've got to do is explain all these nasty things that they said about Lot. So let's look in the Pasuk again. Bayomro, the second thing they said is He'echad, one, Bar Lagor has come to dwell, the Yishpot Shafot, and he's judging, judging, as a, clearly that's saying that's a chutzpah. So now let's look at how Rashi explains it. He'echad Bar Lagor, Adam Nachri, Yechidi ata beinenu. You are foreign. You are single amongst us. So why, well, how does Rashi say he's nachri? Because bar, you have come, you've come from somewhere else. So if you've come from somewhere else, you're a nachri. You're not one of us. Why does Rashi say yechidi? That's easy, because they said he'echad. You're just one. You're with your family, but you're on your own. You're not exactly a powerful force in our town. So there's two strikes against you. One echad, one bor, and then continues Rashi, Shabbata lagor, you've come lagor. Now what does gor mean? Gor means to dwell, but not permanently. When uh, Avraham uh, speaks to the Bnei Chet, when he buys Maratham, he says famously, Ger v'toshav anochi imachem. I'm a ger, I'm an avatoshav. And Rashi says there's a distinction between them. And, and we'll, when we get there, it's not too far away, um, we will see that Rashi says Ger is a temporary resident and a Toshav is a permanent resident. So, Bata Lagur, uh, you only come to be a temporary resident. So there are three strikes against you, uh, all expressed in the words He'echad Ba Lagur. Ba means Nachri, He'echad means Yechidi, and Gor means Gor means Ger, means you're just a stranger. You're not a permanent resident. And nevertheless, with all this chutzpah, v'yishpot shafot, you judge judging. Says Rashi, v'na'aseta mochia otanu. Now, why does Rashi say, na'aseta mochia otanu? You have become a rebuker of us. So it could well be that Rashi is very sensitive to the apparent contradiction between what Rashi himself said in Pasuk Bet. When Rashi said, sorry, Pasuk Aleph, Lot Yashev Bashar Saddam, 
Lot was appointed that very day to be a judge. And now the townspeople say, what a chutzpah, you're judging us. So there is clearly irony. They appoint judges and they don't like the judge. It happens. But Rashi is actually, with his words, is avoiding, is finding a way out of the apparent contradiction. Because according to Rashi, you have gone beyond your brief. You aren't doing the judging. You've become a Musa giver. You've become a rebuker. That's not the job of a judge. The job of a judge is to just do his judging, not to start giving sermons and telling people to be better people and not to harm guests. That is, you're becoming a mochiach. You're becoming a rebuker. We appointed you as a shofet, as a judge. The naaseta mochia otanu. Which, by the way, is the reason I said before that, according to the Midrash, it was actually a law that guests were to be treated in this barbaric way. And therefore, it actually, uh, I'm not saying this is precisely Rashi, but I think it is informing Rashi. They said, the townspeople said, um, bring them out and we're going to abuse them. And that's, according to the Midrash, the normal thing. It's like saying, no, you know the rules. Get them out, because we'll start the, you know, our style of hospitality. And he says, no. And then they say, you're being a machia. You're telling us not to follow our norms. That's the chutzpah. You're not judging us properly according to the rules. Says Rashi, you're becoming a machia differently from a judge. A judge would enforce the rules. You're doing something else. And that is beautifully and cleverly expressed by these words of Rashi when he says, um, sorry, I lost it. Uh, as Rashi's explanation of the words, um, okay, Pasuk Yud, we can do quickly because there's no Rashi. And the men stretched out their hands, and they brought Lot to them, Habaita, into the house. And the door they closed. Now, it's not clear who the Anashim are, at least the first time we read it, because Anashim could be the Anashim outside or the Anashim inside. Interestingly, Rashi made the point in Pasuk uh, Aleph that Lot saw them as Malachim when Abraham saw them as Anashim. One of the reasons that Rashi says that is because they're not always called Malachim in this parak. So sometimes they're called Anashim, uh, which actually strengthens the question why in Pasuk Aleph they were called Malachim, and Rashi has something to say on that. But here there's called Anashim, but we can see from what's going on, these men stretch out their hands and bring Lot back inside, so they are the angels. The angels have, brought them, have, have been brought back inside. Benji, you had a comment. Sorry, just, just on the previous uh, pasuk, which we can, we can finish this one if you want first. Um, so just quickly, there's a, a Russia. I've got another one on the previous pasuk, Hadalet, as compared to, I don't know if that's Hadalet. I have this on, on pasuk Tet still, um, then the next Rashi, rather than, I know there's a Delet on pasuk um, Yud, but I have, I don't know my art scroll here, it, it's saying the, the next Rashi, there's actually, there's actually two on Perak, on pasuk Tet. Yeah, um, yes, you're quite right. It's entirely my mistake. I missed it. Right. So thank you very much for pointing that out. Sorry. So, Okay, Rashi says on the word hadelet, he has sovevet linol veliftoa. That is the thing that goes round to lock and to open. Now, the reason I'll tell you straight away why Rashi says on the word delet here is because he has, in which case I have lost it, hold on, ah, in, yeah, in Yod Aleph, he explains the word petach. And uh, we'll jump, in fact, we're on to Yudalef. <laughs> so Yudalef starts with the Etanashim Asher Petach Habayit. says, Rashi Petach, Hu HaChalal HeChalal Shebo Nichnasin V'Yodzin. A Petach is the open space with which people enter and leave. The point is that there's a Delet and there's a Petach. And they might be understood similarly. Sometimes we, we use the word Petach and we say door as the translation. In which, if Petach is door, what's a delet? So this is one which I think we can say with uh, fear of contradiction, is a relatively simple Rashi. That in Tet, he has to explain delet, and in, because in contrast with Petach in Yud Aleph. 
Now, that would explain, by the way, why he didn't say delet, he didn't explain delet in vav. Um, or there, perhaps because he went out through the gate, through, through the petach, and he closed the door. So it's obviously there are two different things. But here, in the end of Tet, we have Delet, and in the beginning of Yod Aleph, we have Petach. And if Rashi hadn't explained it, we might have thought they were the same thing and wondered why we had different words. So what happens in Yud? Rob, just quickly, sorry, can I ask also on, on Pasuk Tet, if I may? Um, yes, please. Does, why, why does it say Vayifzuru Vaish Balot? Why does it have... Okay, I, as I read that, I wondered if anyone's going to say it, and I'm going to do my normal cop-out. What's yeah. my normal cop-out? Rashi doesn't Rashi say it, so Rashi doesn't think it's a problem. So Rashi assumes we all will be happy with that, so we'll go with Rashi. That's okay. Thank you. Uh, I, I think it's a very good question, but it's not Rashi's question. So... I fully admit that's a cop-out. Says Rashi on, says Yud Aleph. So actually we've seen Rashi on Yud Aleph. Uh, no, we haven't seen all of it. Says Rashi, says, sorry, says the Basak on Yud Aleph. And the men who were at the entrance of the house, they smoked with San Veirim. From young to old. And they struggled, or they labored, or they labored in vain uh, to find the entrance. Pardon me, because they were stricken with sunverim. What is sunverim? Says Rashi, makat avir uh, ivaron, the plague of ivaron, which is normally translated as blindness. Now, why say normally translated? In interestingly, if you look at Malachim Bet Perak Vav. Uh, we have the case where Elisha says to Hashem, um, please, uh, smite this people with San Veirim. And Rashi there, Malachim Bet Yudchet, says something very interesting. He says, San Veirim, Choli Shal Shimomon. It's an illness of madness, basically. Ro'in, Ve'ena Yodea Mahu Ro'er. They see, but they don't know what they're seeing. Very interesting uh, uh, idea of what type of plague it is. It's not blindness that everything's black. It's confusion, but they can't work out what's going on. So Rashi here doesn't say that, but Rashi there on exactly the same word does say that. Sunbirim. And it might be interesting that um, when Lot tries to persuade his sons-in-law I will jump to Pasuk Yudalad for a minute. When Lot tries to persuade his sons-in-law to leave the town with him, it says at the end of Yudalad, It was as if he was making a joke in the eyes of his sons-in-law. Now, it occurs to me, um, as we read this, we don't have to say the sons-in-law were amongst the townspeople who were trying to break through the door and were smitten with um, Sanvirim. But if they were, we could now explain how they could be stricken, smitten with Sanvirim, um, which Rashi explained as Ivaron, which we normally translate as blindness. Yet those sons-in-law saw Lot with the eyes of the sons-in-law, and they thought he was joking. Um, if we take Rashi's comment in Malachim Bet and apply it to here, we can say that it wasn't blindness in the sense that they couldn't see anything, but they couldn't understand what they were seeing. So if we also assume, and we don't have to, but the sons-in-law were stricken with this same plague, it can make sense why in Yudalad they had eyes, but they couldn't correctly interpret what they saw with their eyes. Benji. Sorry, sorry, all good. Sorry, I just... Oh, okay, right, the hand's still raised. Sorry. Okay. Um, so we were on Yud Aleph, and then Rashi says on the words Mikaton va'ad gadol. Says Rashi, Hakatanim chitchilu ba'averatachila. The young people began the sin originally, Shneemah, because the pasuk said a little bit earlier, Mina'ava adzaken. It said that in pasuk Dalat. So Mina'ar va'ad zaken means from the young to the old. So here, 
uh, Rashi says, the katanim The youngsters were the ones who started the sin, first of all. Therefore, the punishment began with them. So why is, how is Rashi reading Mikatan Ba'ad Gadol? So the answer perhaps is, the pastor could have said, if he wanted to say everyone was affected, young and old, it could have said young and old. Na'ar the Katal, or Katan the Gadol. But he didn't. It said mi katan ad gadol, implying a progression from the young to the old. If there is such a progression, Rashi has to explain why is there such a progression? Why is it going from the young to the old? So Rashi gives the answer by saying the young started the punishment, so they get the punishment first. You might recall that in the plague of frogs, Rashi is medayik that the frogs went into Paro first and then into his servants. Uh, and Rashi says there, because Paro was the one who started the enslavement of the Jews, so he gets the punishment first. Same thing here, the punishment goes because it was the youngsters who started it first. Uh, I realize I'm saying that why uh, earlier it said and now it says Mikatan. Um, um, I'm not sure, but Rashi identifies the two as the same. Okay, um, here's the problem. It's 9.24, and there's a lot to say on Pasuk Yudbet, um, and there's Selichot starting in a certain Zoom shawl at 9.30. So I think I will pause here. And next week, Mietz Hashem, which we will meet again next week, Matzichag, we will tackle Pasuk Yudbet. So I will say to you, and may we all be Zohar to a very, very good year. I think this time we can say um, in a very real way that there are many aspects of Tov Pei, which we hope will not be repeated in Tov Pei Aleph. So we can truly say, may this year and its curses cease, and may the next year with its brachot return. And may it be for our little gathering, a year blessed with lots of understanding of Rashi and other Torah. So thank you very much, and I will see you next year uh, in Yitzhak Shem in a week's time. Amen. Uh, uh, see you to your family.